Well, Lord, we, we do thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and to study the Bible. This is the greatest book that's ever been written, period, because it's written by you. Uh, and Lord, you give us so many incredible insights. Uh, we, we see your heart. Uh, Lord, you communicate to us through your word, and we're so thankful for that. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless our time together, or that we can see truths in this book uh, about who you are and who we are, uh, and that it would be a point of hope for us, uh, that we could put stakes down and move forward in faith uh, because of the promises that you give us. And so, Lord, we, we also want to pray for Pastor Best and Pastor Wagi uh, as they teach in Egypt and South Sudan. Uh, these are mighty men of God, and we're just praying that you protect them, but Lord, that their investment wouldn't be in vain. I know that they've prepared, uh, and so Lord, we just pray that there would be open hearts and open ears to receive it. Uh, Lord, uh, you know, studying the Bible and, and a Bible school can be very academic, Lord, uh, but this is a spiritual book and it's spiritually discerned. And so Lord, we just pray that they could receive it uh, just in light of your spirit working in them. And Lord, that you'd use it to empower the ministry in both Egypt and South Sudan, that many would be saved and come to know the one true God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, I'm so excited. We get to be back in the book of Genesis, and it's been such a great study. And so we're going to do a little review, and we're going to dive back in it. Feel free to start turning to Genesis chapter 39. We're making some headway, right? Um, so last time we met up, our boy Joe hit rock bottom, like literally, like he was thrown into, into a little well, into a cistern, right? Uh, and his brothers left him there. They were scheming to murder him. Uh, we talked about how, you know, Dothan is a, a short walk from Shechem and, and how the, 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 the bitterness that was dwelling in the hearts of his brothers, it, it finally erupted as a scheme to murder their own brother. And so we just talked about how uh, this unaddressed bitterness in our own hearts, uh, how, how, where it can lead. Uh, we uh, went on to, to gain the perspective of Joseph and, and we learned how to gain hope uh, and a godly perspective, even when we're receiving trial, right? Even when we're going through it, man, man how can we gain a godly perspective? How can we gain hope when the things around us, uh, when, when life is coming down and crashing all around us, right? When, when we lost our job, uh, when relationships are sour, when, when, when I, whatever trial is going on in your life, how do we have hope amidst it and trust God and gain his perspective through it? And man, Joseph showed us a lot there. And so today we're going to pick up the story where we left off. Joseph was just sold into slavery by his brothers. Ain't that something? Man, his brothers sold him into slavery. And we see that he's purchased by Ishmaelite merchants, and they're headed down to Egypt. And so are you in chapter 39? Yeah? All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And we skipped, y'all were probably like, man, we skipped a whole chapter. And, and y'all, I'm not just skipping around. Joseph's not in chapter 38. Like, feel free to read through it. We could circle back, but this is supposed to be a character study on the life of Joe, right? And so I encourage you to read the, all of it, all 66 books. But we're going to be in chapter 39, verse 1 today. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer, a pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, 
and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hands. Wow. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored, and well-favored, right? And so by diving in, hopefully we'll get through the, the first two verses. We're just going to consider what it looks like to prosper in Egypt, right? And so for, for those of us who have been studying the Bible for, for a little bit, we know that Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world, right? And the world, not in a good way. This world system is actually, you know, not for us. You know, the world, our flesh, and the devil, they're all conspiring against us. And yet we all live in the world, right? And we all face our adversaries and, you know, our struggles, our temptations in this world. And yet we're called to live a godly life and a godly existence. And we're called to be prosperous in this world. And we see by the testimony, by the example, by the life of Joseph, someone that enters into this world and yet he, he prospers. And so for, for me, I'm thinking, man, this guy has some insights. He's, he's got some stuff that I need, right? What does it look like for us to prosper in this world, in our Egypt? So in verse one, it says that Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And so we're going to establish some context. This verse 1 sets it all up for us. Remember, Joseph, he was a favorite of his father, right? Uh, he was next in line to take over the family business. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was stripped of the coat that his father had given him. And with that, he was stripped of his pride, of his dignity, uh, of these things that he deserved, right? In verse, or in chapter 37, we learned that Joseph was only 17 years old. Can you imagine that? We, we, we forgot that, right? He was only 17 years old. And, and he went out just by, by, by the orders of his father to go find his brothers. And you can just picture it, right? He, he found his brothers as he was going down to, 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 to Dothan. He's like, man, sweet, I found my brothers. He's probably already thinking in his mind, man, when I get home, get my mani, get my petty, get my hair did, right? My, my job's accomplished. And he's already scheming, planning his, his ride back home. And, and, you know, next minute, it's a battle for survival. His brothers throw him into a well. He's not sure what's going to happen. They're scheming to, to murder him. And, and then they sell him into slavery. And the next thing you know, instead of planning his ride back home, and instead of, of what's next, what's for dinner, He's trying to survive as he's doing backbreaking work and being stowed away as a captive and a slave and being taken down into a strange land. And some of you can relate with this idea of being taken to Egypt, right? For, for Joseph being brought down to, to Egypt, he'd be being thrown into to a whole different culture into a different language and to, to a different place. And so as we look around, we've got friends that have come from all different parts of the world to the United States, you know, I know I've been to, to different parts of the world. I went to, to, to India, 
I shared this with Naveen. And man, I felt like I was in a, you know, on another planet. Like they're driving crazy. They're speaking a different language. The food was different. The language, the, the culture, the smells, like, like everything was different. And that was jarring to me. And so he's 17 years old. He's just stripped from his family. He's made a slave and he's entering into this culture, to the society that's completely different. Can you imagine? This would be terrifying. In verse one, it says that, that Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And that phrase brought down is an apt description because it would not only describe his physical state, but, but his spiritual and his emotional state, right? Man, this would be horrible. He would be low in spirit as he's being drugged down into Egypt. And yet, whenever we hear that word down as a direction in our Bible, immediately our ears perk up, right? Because down in the Bible is always the wrong direction. It's always the wrong direction. And so we see over and over again as we study the Bible that whenever someone's headed down, typically they're headed in the wrong direction. And so I'll give you an example of this. In, in Jonah chapter one, are you all familiar with Jonah? Yeah, Jonah, he headed down and ended up in the belly of a whale. Bad news, right? And in Jonah chapter one, verse three, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So, so y'all, is it good to flee from the presence of the Lord? No, right? So this dude, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord and he's going to Tarshish. And it says that he went down to Joppa. Is down good or bad? It's bad. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so this is one clear example of many that we could point to in the Bible where someone is going down, right? In this passage, Jonah was going down to flee from God's presence. And we find that Jonah didn't fare well running from God, did he? Nah, you guys know the story. The next passage actually, you know, he, he ends up in the belly of a whale because he's running from God. And God wasn't playing games, right? He, he came for him. And in the next passage, we, we see one that actually sets up uh, the, the passage that we're in perfectly. In Genesis chapter 12, we see someone else that went down, right? In Genesis chapter 12, we see the example of Joseph's great-grandfather, right? We, we see the example of Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 10, it says, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt so, to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And, and so in this passage, we see that Abraham, he was actually brought to, to, to this promised land, this land of promise, this land that, that God directed him to, right? This is a land of blessing for him. And whenever the, 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 his trials, whenever his experience, whenever the things around him weren't going according to how he thought God should be blessing him, instead of trusting the Lord, instead of asking God, he took the matters into his own hand. And it says that he went down into Egypt. He went down into Egypt. And we find that as Abraham goes down into Egypt, Egypt to escape this famine, he's leaving the place of God's blessing and he's welcoming trials into his life. And so we see that as he enters into Egypt, we, we see crazy stories of, you know, kings, pharaohs trying to steal his wife, right? Uh, while he is down there, he would have picked up uh, the, the, this young handmaid named Hagar, right? 
And we're going to see that story come full circle as we continue to study this passage. And so surely as Joseph was being taken down to Egypt, he'd be thinking over and considering the stories of his own great-grandfather, right? Can you imagine that? He's going down there. He's like, man, I remember the stories of my, my, my granddad, right? He went down there. He's no good. Those Egyptians, they weren't good to my dad, right? And, and so he'd be thinking, considering this as he's going down, uh, especially in light of who's transporting him down there. Do, do you remember who's taking him down there? The Ishmaelites. What, what happened last time his, his great-grandfather was in Egypt? He, he, he left with a handmaid from Egypt named Hagar. Who, who's Hagar's son? Ishmael, right? And, and so we see that uh, Abraham left with his handmaid, uh, Hagar. She brought into the world Ishmael. And Ishmael was the product of Abraham's flesh. God had given Abram a promise of a child. And instead of trusting God for that promise in the way that God would have instructed him, he took the matters into his own hands. And he had Ishmael, which is a product of his flesh, with, with, with Hagar, right, with, with this handmaid. And so you guessed it, the, these Ishmaelites would come full circle. And, and we see that the, that the sins of the father just following generation to generation, right, dragging them back into Egypt dragging them back into Egypt. And so clearly going down is bad. And we see that Joseph's being dragged down, right? This is against his will to Egypt. And Egypt is this perfect picture. It's this perfect type of the world. And as we continue to, to study through the book of Exodus, it becomes so clear. I think about Exodus 22 verses 21. And as we, you know, do these cross-references with passages like Hebrews 11, 13, and Isaiah 31, and Matthew 2. Like there, there's different points in the Bible that, that, that tie this up beautifully. Uh, we unfortunately don't have time to dig into it, but it's this beautiful picture of the world. And once Joseph gets to Egypt, we see that he's sold once again. And in verse 1, it tells us that he's sold to Potiphar, and Potiphar is the captain of the guards of Pharaoh. And that name Potiphar it means devoted to the sun, devoted to the sun. And if we do a very just casual overview uh, of kind of ancient Egypt history, uh, we know and it's very clear that the Egyptians, they, they worship the sun, right? The, the, the sun god, Ra, right? This is who they worshiped. And so Potiphar uh, would have surely been devoted to this pagan worship practices of his day. And lastly, I want to acknowledge that Potiphar, he, he would have been a man of prestige within his community, right? He, he had a very highly appointed job. It says that he was an officer of the Pharaoh of Egypt. So the number one man in all of Egypt, he was right underneath him as an officer, right? And it said that he was in charge of his security detail. And so, so Potiphar, he's, this dude's running the secret service, y'all, right? He's running the, the secret service. And he's guarding the Pharaoh. And so he would have had probably, uh, you know, a very cush job in terms of compensation. He'd be highly respected within the community. Uh, but, but also he had close proximity to, to the number one dude in all of Egypt. And, and, you know, Joseph just happened to end up a servant, a slave in his home. In verse 2 it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. 
And so here in verse two, despite the fact that Joseph entered into G Egypt as a slave, you know, despite the fact that, that his outlook on life would have been unfavorable, right? He, he hit rock bottom. We discover the key to living in Egypt. It's right here. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. That's it. That, that is the key to prospering in our Egypt, is acknowledging the fact that the Lord is with Joseph. And man, if we know him, if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then, then he's with us as well right? And therein we find our victory. And so this is the key for, for all of us to remember that Egypt is this picture of the world system. And yet we have an opportunity to survive and also to thrive in this world. How do we get through this world unscathed? We must know and act in light of the fact that the Lord is with us. And so our key point number one is that trials do not mean that God has abandoned you. He may not deliver you from the trial, but he will always enter into it with you. That's good, y'all. This is something that we have to acknowledge. When our life, when the things around us aren't going as planned, it doesn't mean that God abandoned you, right? And he might not deliver you from that trial with immediacy, but man, he'll be in it with you. And if I know anything, I know that, man, tribulation, it worketh patience, right? And patience, hope, right? Like. He's going to use this thing in your life if you allow him to. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help uh, in time of need. And, and so this passage tells us that, that our God, that, that Jesus, he's not some distant God that hasn't experienced the hardships, the sufferings, the trials that we're going through, but, but in all ways he's been tempted, right? Just like we were, yet without sin. And because of that, he's someone that we can seek after, that we can come to, that we can boldly come to into his throne of grace and obtain mercy and help in our time of need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about how he comforts us in our tribulation. We may lose the, the, the feeling of God's presence, right? We, we, we might be in this situation. We might be in this trial. We might be in uh, this Egypt. We might hit rock bottom in our lives and feel like God has abandoned us. And where is he at? And we might not feel like God is present, but that doesn't change the essence of God's presence. Despite how we feel, despite what we think, man, man, if we are in Christ, then he's in us and he's with us, right? He's promised to never leave us and to never forsake us. He's promised to be with us always, always, even to the end of the earth. So even though his family can you imagine this? Joseph's own family sold him into to, to slavery. His own flesh and blood abandoned him. And yet, there's nothing that we can do to be separated from the love of God. Wow, what a promise. What a promise. And so I don't know what you're going through, but, but I serve a God that's present, right? And, and that will go through it with you. 
And so uh, if you've got your Bible, man, we've got Bibles in the back as well. So if you don't have a Bible, we, we, we'd love to, to, to make sure you have one. Uh, but turn with me to, to, to the book of Daniel. Daniel is this incredible companion book, companion passage to, to where we're at studying the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph looks like Jesus. Daniel looks like Jesus. Je I mean, Jesus is that dude, right? So these two guys, they're the only men in scripture where, where there's no sin recorded in their lives, right? And, and, and we see in, in Daniel that, that just like Joseph, he's this Hebrew boy that's taken captive and he's brought into this strange land as a slave, right? And so we see that, that Daniel's brought into Babylon as a slave. And like Joseph, he was a diligent worker. He was a hard worker. But in chapter 3 of Daniel, we see that, that, that these three Hebrew boys refuse to bow and worship to this idol. Some of you are familiar with the story. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it, uh, than it was uh, won't be heated. And so Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, he's so furious that these three boys don't bow to this image. They're saying, hey, we're not just going to throw you in the furnace, but we're going we're gonna to turn up the heat on it, right? We're, we're going to turn up the heat seven times. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their, own, and their other garments, and were cast into the middle of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 22 says, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. How crazy is that? Right? Because they wouldn't bow, the king cast them in a burning fire to be burned alive. Right? The, the, the things that, man, the, the trials in their life, it was really heating up. And when these three boys were sent into the fire, into this trial, they were bound up. They went in as a, like, they were literally bound up. They went in bound up. And in the midst of it all, we see that they're loosed, that they're walking, and that they've got a friend in this trial. And this friend, this fourth person is like the son of God, right? It's Jesus, the son of God. He wasn't a present help to them. And he's a present help to us. And then in this passage, we see that the Lord was with Joseph. 
And we see this phrase appear a number of times in the scripture. And as we look at the references, it helps us gain context and a picture of what it means for the Lord to be with us, of what it means for the Lord to be with us in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our Egypt. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 27, we see such an, such an instance. It says that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. It says that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. And so we find in this passage that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Right? This is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. We see that God's people, they're engaged in praise. Right? They're, they're engaged in worship to, to, to God, right? the one true God. And, and this was clearly a work of God and not a work of man. God brings this victory. And as his people engaged in worship and acknowledge God's works, man, we, we get to see God's presence with them, right? And so what, what is the key to, to acknowledging God's nearness as we live in this Egypt, as we go through our trials? And that's to engage in praise and to acknowledge his works. To engage in praise and to acknowledge his works. There's something about that. I was just sharing with Hassan this book. This is nothing. It's just paper. But on it, I've got a bunch of promises from God. And it's awesome to, to just read through and to see, man, man, what has God promised me? And to be put in remembrance, not only of what he's promised me, but what he's done in my life. And that helps me to acknowledge him and to praise him and to thank him for what he's done. And as I consider what he's done, man, man it gives me hope. It, it gives me reassurance that he's still with me even today, even now, right? So despite how we feel, we have to acknowledge him and praise. We have to acknowledge the works that he's done in our life to be put in remembrance. Sometimes I'll just go back through my prayer requests. Uh, for, for all my Bible studies I've been in since I've been coming to this church, uh, I've got a list of prayer requests that we pray for. And it's so refreshing to just work through them because there's so many prayers that get answered that we just never acknowledge in real time. You know, we, we begin to pray for them and maybe we forget about them. And we circle back and it's like, wait, God answered that. And I never even acknowledged that, you know? But man, it's so good to remember the things that God has done in our life, to be put in remembrance of our salvation. Man, I was dead. I was spiritually dead, living for myself, destined to hell, separate from God. But God, right? But, but he spoke, but he found me. And man, now I have hope. Now I'm loved. Now I have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Oh, man, we have to engage in praise and to acknowledge the works that God has done. It is good in that we acknowledge and we find his nearness. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we, we find another beautiful passage. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, it says that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did, not, and did let none of his words fall to the ground, right? Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. In this passage, we find Samuel and what's so cool and what's so special about this passage is that in this time, God was not communicating with the nation of Israel, right? No one had any Oprah prophecy in, in all of Israel. 
And then comes this kid. He's this little kid. And God starts talking to him. God starts speaking to him directly. And he's hearing from God. And it's so good. And as he's hearing from God, it says that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And he didn't let any of his words fall to the ground. And so a key to acknowledging God's nearness as we live in this world, as we live in this Egypt where, man, we're not walking around with Jesus incarnate. We, we, we don't get to walk with Jesus in the flesh, right? Like we read about in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, but he's still near. He, he's just as near. If anything, he's more near, right? As we read the word, man, spoiler alert, he's in you. Wow. Awesome. It's better that I go is what he tells us. But y'all, we, we get to acknowledge his nearness as we receive and obey his words. Wow. This dude, Samuel, he was hearing from God and he was taking it and he was obeying it and he was letting none of it fall to the ground. And what does it tell us? That the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. We find another similar passage in 2 Kings chapter 18 uh, with, with this King Hezekiah. It says, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments. He kept his words is what that means. He kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses and the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, whithersoever he went forth and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Wow, what, what an incredible testimony, what an incredible example. So Samuel was special because he heard from God and he talked to God. He was a prophet in a time when no one in Israel was hearing from the Lord. And as he grew, the text says that the Lord was with him. And this truth was immediately tied to the fact that Samuel let none of his words fall to the ground. And we find a key to God's presence being tied to our relationship to his word. A key to God's presence is tied to our relationship with his word. He is near and his words speak into our lives for every situation that we go into. We get to experience his nearness through receiving and obeying his words. Next, feel free to turn to 1 Samuel with us. We're going to probably camp out here for a little while. So we saw in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3 that our boy Samuel heard from God and, and that the Lord was with him, right? And we're going to see the same of this young man named David, right? David is the man after God's own heart. And we've got so much to, to learn and to, to, to gain from him. What's up? I got water. Mm. I got, I got coffee too. <laughs> okay. First Samuel chapter 16. We see in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. What a testimony, right? We see that of David, and we're going to see this of Joseph. I don't know that we'll get there today, but Joseph's testimony at large is that the Lord was with him. That's something that Potiphar had to acknowledge 
of this servant that's in his house is, man, there's something different about this kid. The Lord is certainly with him. And that's what's said. This is the testimony of David as they're giving a report. Hey, there's this dude, Jesse's son. And, and, and yeah, he's this mighty man of valor. And he's this awesome warrior. And he plays cunningly. But the Lord is with him, right? Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me, David, thy son, which is with the sheep. <clears throat> and next in chapter 18, we're going to build on this. That's why I'm not really speaking into it. Chapter 18, verses 6 through 14 of 1 Samuel says, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was uh, returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, right? So he is this mighty man of war. He's returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, right? Saul's not, not happy about this because Saul's large and in charge and he's, you know, he's the guy. And suddenly these girls are, are, are just talking up David and not him. And we see that he's hurt by this, right? His pride it takes a, a beating. And so Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have done more but, but the kingdom? Which is funny because it's, you know, eventually he, it will be the kingdom. Uh, and so Saul's uh, eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came unto, unto Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hands. Dun, dun, dun. And Saul cast the javelin, and he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captive over a thousand, his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him, right? And we see even later on in this, this same chapter, verse 28, that Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. So we see three times in this one passage stating over and over again, the fact that the Lord was with David. And so through the life of David, I believe that we get another key insight about the Lord being with us, right? We looked at the life of Joshua and the, the, the nation of Israel as the, the walls of Jericho came crumbling down. We looked at the example of Samuel uh, in terms of his relationship with the word of God. And finally, we find David, this man after God's own heart. And I see over and over and over again throughout the, the, the scriptures, this fact that the Lord is with David. And so David actually gives us some, some key insights about this relationship that he had with the Lord and what it means for us to, to experience the nearness and the presence of God, despite our circumstances. And so he actually, he's thought so much about it that he put it into a song for us. You know that? David wrote some psalms for our benefit. And so in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10, it says, 
Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And so we see this beautiful, man, just this beautiful poem and song about the nearness of God. No matter where we go, he is there, he's with us. But one of the, the, the interesting statements that he makes is in verse seven, whither shall I go from thy spirit, right? And he likens his spirit to his presence. And we see him do this again in Psalm 51. This is a familiar Psalm for, for, for many of us as you know, David recounts his sin with Bathsheba. And one of the things that he's pleading with the Lord about, he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And so in both of these Psalms, we see the presence of God tied to the Spirit of God. The presence of God is tied to the Spirit of God. And so a key to acknowledging his presence and nearness is yielding to his spirit, is yielding to his spirit, because Christ literally dwells in us and he comforts us. He dwells in us and he comforts us. Jesus, another name for him is Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? He encourages his disciples that he will not leave them comfortless. Rather, in John 14, he assures them that he will leave them his spirit to dwell in them. And all of those who believe, my spirit will not just be with you, but it will be in you, right? It will be in you. In John chapter 14, verses 6 through 18, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. It's like, yeah, I know I am a comforter, but he's going to give you another one, right? That he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will come to you. So we find that God's presence is tied to his spirit. It is truly the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, right? It's in you. And so the key to surviving this world is to have help from someone outside of it. That's the key to surviving in this world is, man, we need help from someone outside of it, someone beyond this world, right? We need a connection to them, a lifeline that can help us. I think about the, the astronauts up in, you know, what's it called, the space shuttle? Isn't that crazy? Who would, who would volunteer to live in outer space? Like it's wild, right? So they're up there and y'all, there's no oxygen up there. There's no food up there. There's no water up there. There's no, gra there's no gravity up there. Like this just sounds like a bad idea. The only way you can survive in outer space is if someone from the homeland is taking stuff up to you. Hello? Yeah, right? And so just like that, the, the only way that we can survive here in this Egypt, in this world, as sojourners, right, 
is if we have some connection from someone outside of it, right? And that's God's spirit that dwells inside of us, right? And so we have to, to establish a walk with Christ. We must acknowledge his nearness despite our circumstances, whether trial or triumph, whether we're on top of the world or, 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 or we feel like we're getting smacked by it. The Lord is with us and we have the choice to walk in that or, or we could completely ignore that and blaspheme that. And do you think about the things that you, you drag the, the spirit through? Man, he's with you. He promised to never leave you or forsake you. And yet we, we find ourselves in the most just disgusting places, doing the most disgusting things, right? And so we have the, the, the capability to, to walk through this world, trying to be a part of this world, and completely blaspheming the fact that, that God is actually present with us always, right? <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I consider this passage, and it brings me great comfort. Joseph, he was brought down to Egypt, and immediately there's red flags, right? Egypt is this bad place. This is a bad thing. He's in slavery. He's been sold. Like, this is bad. And yet the, 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 the next verse gives us reassurance that the Lord is with them. And we see that there's this man that can prosper despite all the circumstances around us. And then I think about my own life, and I think about some of us. You know, some of us feel so lonely. Some of us left our family and we came to a new place. We left our city. Or maybe we're just in a time and a season of loneliness, of depression, and we feel like there's no one around, right? We feel like there's no one around. Like we're in bondage, like we're defeated, like we hit rock bottom. We feel distant. We feel like there's no close relationships. It's overwhelming. Like no one can understand where we're at or what we're going through. And yet the promise of scripture is that my God does. He's close unto us, right? He's not some distant high priest, but, but in every way that we've been tempted, so is he yet without sin, and we can boldly approach his throne of grace. And despite whatever we're going through, we could be literally tossed into a fiery furnace, and he's hanging out with us, you know, playing hopscotch. It's awesome, right? He loves us so much that he died for us, right? He promises to never leave us, to, to in no wise cast us out, that there's nothing that can separate us from him, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I read that and I think, man, what can separate us from God? And the answer is nothing. Y'all, nothing. If we're in him, if we're with him, he will no wise cast us out, right? There's nothing that can separate us. And with that, no matter what I'm going through, I have hope. No matter what I'm going through. If you don't know this God, if you don't understand who Jesus is, that man, as I read this book, the, the promise is that he's actually calling you. I don't think that any of us are here by mistake. God is calling you. He's been seeking a relationship with you. Not just today, but, but he's continually been chasing you and seeking after you. Will you finally slow down and listen? Will you listen, right? 
And so we're going to end here. This was a, man, just a, a devotional message from uh, verses 1 and 2. And there's going to be good stuff for us to consider as we dive in next week. Uh, but, but I want you to acknowledge and to know that, that God, he desires to be in this intimate relationship with you. And that once you enter into it, he never leaves you out. He is always with you. And he's there to comfort you. That's the name. That's one of his names is the comforter. That's the name of his Holy Spirit, right? Is a comforter. And so again, I don't know what all of us are going through, uh, but, but I know this, and it brings me great joy, and it brings me great peace despite what I'm going through. And if you don't experience that, if you don't have access to that, if you don't know who Jesus is, not in some ethereal way where it's like, ah, Jesus, yeah, he'll make everything better. But man, if you're going through it and you're like, man, just knowing Jesus isn't enough, man, come talk to me because it is, right? I, I, I will show you it is. I, man, I've been through some stuff. I look in this room and y'all have been through some stuff. And man, he is, he's good. He is powerful. He is with us. And through him, we can prosper despite our circumstance, right? And so I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you and we're going to break up into our groups and close out. Lord, you are good. Uh, you are so good to us. And we thank you for the promise of your nearness. And Lord, you've given us all the clues and all the tips and, and, and everything that we need to have access to it. Lord, to, to, to praise and acknowledge your works, to, to, to seek you in your word and to yield to your spirit. Man, and so if we don't feel your nearness, if we don't feel your presence, help us to acknowledge that it doesn't matter how we feel because you're there. And Lord, if we don't feel and experience your nearness because we don't know you, and I pray that none of us would leave today without figuring that out. Uh, you are a good God. Uh, you're worth being right with. And your love is so, so beautiful. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all know you uh, and live in the reality of, uh, of your presence, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to, 